0: Welcome to another episode of You Wanna Watch, a podcast where I'll let you know whether or not that movie you're considering watching is worth it. My name is Gabby, and wow, it has been quite some time since I recorded an episode for this. I'd love to have some huge excuse that's very well worded and thought out as to why I took about an eight-month break from this podcast, but I don't really have an explanation other than 2020 was 2020. Obviously, last year, um, with everything that happened, lots of things in Hollywood um, in the entertainment industry were postponed and pushed back and canceled altogether. So it was kind of hard to know what was even going to come out in 2020 and also to know how you were going to be able to watch those movies because lots of things were going straight to streaming or they were doing video on demand where you would have to pay $20 to rent a movie for all of two days, which I think is pretty ridiculous, especially considering um, I was paying like $20 for my Regal unlimited subscription and I could go to any Regal theater um, as many times as I want to see movies in theaters, which was perfect. I really hope that comes back when we can go back to movie theaters because I miss them so much. But yes, all of that to say, I wasn't as interested in talking about movies throughout last year, especially around June when I fully stopped recording any episodes for You Want to Watch. I think in June, I only watched even like seven movies total, and I think only two of those were new movies. So I didn't have much to talk about. I didn't have much to say. But here I am. I'm back. I hope that Anybody who is still listening to this podcast and who still cares about what I have to say is glad that I'm back. But I mean, I guess I'm making this regardless. So here we go. For this first episode back, I figured I would pick two movies so that it wasn't too long and I could kind of get back into the swing of things. And the two movies I decided to pick were one that I have talked to a lot of people about recently, and they've just asked my opinion on how I felt about this movie when it dropped on Christmas. And then the other, the only movie I saw in theaters after March, and I am excited to talk about both of these. The first movie I'm going to be talking about is Wonder Woman 1984, which is the sequel to the first Wonder Woman film in the DC Extended Universe. Um, It was actually originally supposed to come out in June of this year after it had been pushed back from an original 2019 release date, which I'm sure they wish they had left that 2019 date. But obviously, June, most theaters weren't open. And so they moved to an October date. And then Warner Brothers actually made a huge, very controversial plan to uh, fully move All of their 2021 slate of movies to HBO Max. They will get their release um, on HBO Max for about a month, I believe, is the plan um, before it's then set to like Blu-ray, DVD, um, and then you can like buy it on streaming services. And Wonder Woman 84 is sort of the test case guinea pig for how this is going to go. I know this whole plan makes Christopher Nolan very, very angry, which we'll get to talking about him later, but actually I think it's a pretty decent um, plan. It's going to definitely raise HBO Max's subscriber numbers up high, which they are in desperate need of, and it's not really that much different than what uh, Disney Plus did when they decided to move Hamilton to um, their streaming platform instead of waiting for theaters like you need people to have a reason to hop onto your streaming platform especially when there's so many of them for us to be paying for like you have to give people at home a reason to want to pick yours so although I would have loved to seen Wonder Woman 84 in theaters I am glad that I had a way to watch it at all so the timeline for this movie in comparison to the first one, the first one was set in World War One, 1918. Um, and then when we see Diana again in the other DC movies, we see her in Batman versus Superman, and we see her in Justice League. This movie is set post the first Wonder Woman and pre BVS and Justice League. So obviously it's set in 1984. It's where they get the title from. How unique, right? But I actually think it's kind of interesting in a way that it acts sort of as both a sequel and a prequel almost because we're not supposed to know the events of what's going to happen with her later on in the setting of this movie. I thought the opening scene of this movie was really great. I thought it set a really nice tone. We start with young Diana um, out in the Amazon with her people. Um, She's like trying to win this huge competition against the older ones. And she's like the youngest. She's literally a child and obviously it's sort of set there to remind us who diana is and of her morals and her values to provide her a teaching lesson that she will use later on in the film because we have to have a good setup for everything but i thought the like the actual pacing of that scene and the action that we got was going to set the tone for how the movie was going to go and i was sadly disappointed Because right after that, we jump to our timeline for this film and it is Diana at a mall and she ends up breaking up this attempted robbery at this jewelry store where these robbers are trying to take not the jewelry from the store, but these weird artifacts that they find in a back room, which is exactly what they were there for. They knew what they were looking to steal and she fends them off and make sure that they are captured. But it's the scene from the trailer that looks like it's super fun and super cool. And it's just not as fun as I was expecting. I didn't even think that it like looked completely finished from a CGI standpoint. And I just didn't think that the dialogue in the scenes, especially the part where she makes a point to say that she doesn't like guns, which girl same, but also... Can we have a little bit better fight scene delivery of our lines? I don't know. I think maybe I was expecting a lot more because of how it was framed in the trailer. But also, seeing as it's our first time seeing Diana in this 80s setting, I thought that it should have set a better tone for the rest of the film. From there, we start getting into the actual plot, uh, which is... Diana is working at the Smithsonian, and she has this coworker whose name is Barbara, and Barbara's kind of socially awkward, and she's clearly awed by Diana as anyone who sees Gal Gadot in real life would be so valid on her part. But they end up in charge of looking at the artifacts that are captured by the FBI to sort of identify what they were, One of the artifacts is called the Dreamstone, which grants anybody who wishes upon it their one wish. Uh, Diana unknowingly wishes for Steve Trevor to come back, who was her love in the first film, and Barbara ends up wishing to be like Diana. So both of those things come true because we have to have some drama and we have to have a reason to bring Chris Pine back to our movie. I know people had some differing opinions on the choice to bring Steve back into Diana's life after he had died in the first one, but I honestly think that Chris Pine was one of the better parts of this movie, so even though maybe Diana should continue to move on from Steve, I am happy to stare at Chris Pine do anything, so I'm a full supporter of it. The other big character we have, besides those three, is someone who is called Max Lord. He is played by Pedro Pascal, who, again, another great casting choice. Love me some Pedro. And his character is this businessman who is failing he is not doing well with any of his businesses and he wants to get to the stone so that he can save his oil company and when he manages to weasel his way in through tricking Barbara he wishes to basically become the stone so he wants to be able to grant anybody powers by himself being the stone if anybody wishes upon him they now get what they want obviously the stone doesn't work where it just grants you your wish without any negative side effects because there always has to be some give and take so actually in diana's case steve doesn't actually come back as steve he is in somebody else's body so to everybody else and to diana herself um, they're not actually looking at chris pine's face but we the audience get to thanks patty jenkins and then in Barbara's case, even though she does gain a lot of confidence and she feels more secure in herself and that she can feel super strong and confident, but it also makes her power hungry. Also in Diana's case is she's losing her powers and they learn that in order to get back what they have lost, they have to renounce their wish or fully destroy the stone and neither of them are willing to do that from learning this the plot of the movie kind of gets away from itself there's lots of little one-off scenes that seem to stretch on for a long time that don't really give us any like plot movement or any motivation for the characters one scene in particular um, is when Diana takes Steve to one of the airplanes that exist in 1984 and they spend this whole seems like entire 10 minutes of them flying and seeing fireworks and it is nice to see Chris Pine sort of amazement at what's happening in 1984 because obviously he died in 1918 when lots of this didn't exist and it kind of does mirror in the first movie where Diana shows up into their civilization when she doesn't know anything and he kind of gets to show her around and now it's sort of the exact opposite and that is nice it's a nice callback to the first movie but I just think that in a sequel we should have more intention behind the scenes because we already know the key characters especially here like we know who Steve is we know who Diana is we don't really need to do this circle back to remind us and so I thought that was a misstep for this movie. I definitely would have instead enjoyed more time with Barbara's character, who was played by Kristen Wig. I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more development with her because we see her so quickly go from being very timid and shy and ignored into this very confident um, go for it sort of person. And then because from there, Her power so quickly goes to her head. I think there's not enough motivation for her character's actions later on in the movie to seem sort of as aggressive as they end up feeling. Pedro Pascal's um, character Max Lord is sort of our second villain character and I do think we get enough time with him to know his motivations to understand why he wants to have all of this power and honestly it is just sort of that in itself like he wants power he just wants to keep control of it and keep having more and more Um, and so I think that that was done well and I think Pedro's acting was really nice, um, even though I don't think Max Lord as a character by himself is all that interesting. Something that I just keep thinking about this movie, though, that really disappoints me is that every action scene was very boring to me. And Twitter likes to say that streaming Ruins movies like this that were not meant to be able to like pause and rewind and pay super close attention or immediately talk about a movie as it's happening the way you can kind of hop on Twitter as you're watching and complain about things. I personally don't think that's true exactly. I think I would have been just as disappointed with the action and fight scenes in this if I had seen it in theaters. And actually I probably would have been more mad if I had seen this in theaters because I would have spent more money on this experience. So I don't know. I think that it's clear that this movie was trying to do a lot and was trying to live up to the original movie's expectations and to kind of meet and exceed that but I just think it really missed the mark I sort of mentally checked out and after a certain point I was kind of like I can't believe this is still going like can we wrap it up please I will say, though, that one of the highlight scenes for me was the very emotional one between Steve and Diana as she's having to let him go so that she can get her powers back. I do think both of the actors there in that scene were giving their all. And I really did appreciate that emotion, especially because there wasn't much in the rest of the movie. So it was nice that that one came at such a pivotal point to kind of. Bring me back in to wanting to care about this movie, to care about the characters, and care how it ends. I don't really have much else to say about this movie. Um, it will be available on HBO Max for about another ten ish days from when you're hearing this. Probably, it's on there until January twenty fourth. So if you haven't watched it and you were sort of interested in it, but I have talked to you out of it. One, um, I'm sorry, but. Also, maybe I've saved you two and a half hours of your time that you can spend on something else. So is this movie worth it? It's gonna be a no for me, dog. Now we can move on to what I really wanna talk about, which is a movie that I definitely think is worth it. It's the only movie I saw in theaters post pandemic, um, which theaters were open, everything. I was allowed to go when I went and saw this movie. I just wanna make that clear. I went and saw Tenet over Labor Day and I loved it. I know there's lots of drama over the release of this movie because Christopher Nolan is a big, huge drama king. He loves stirring things up. He loves things his way. He wants us to see everything in IMAX or he doesn't want us to see it at all. There was a huge push from him to get this movie out in theaters as on time as he possibly could, and so it was released near the end of August at movie theaters that were allowed to be open, Um, but obviously not everybody did get it at a theater near them, and not everybody was comfortable going to the theaters at that time, which is totally understandable. I am a huge Nolan nerd, love Christopher Nolan movies, and I decided that I wanted to go see it in theaters. And I was thoroughly impressed by this film. Tenet is billed as a science fiction action thriller, and it stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth DeBecky. Um, We've got Kenneth Branagh, we've got Nolan regular Michael Caine, and we have an appearance by Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I'm a big fan of. So this was a pretty stacked cast Um, from when I first heard about this movie. I was excited, one, because it's Christopher Nolan, and two, because of the cast. It's Robert Pattinson and John David Washington, okay? That's really all we need to know. Nolan is known for time being a huge component of his movies. This one is no different. The basic plot is that We're following this secret agent who learns to manipulate the flow of time with the end goal from basically saving the entire world. The opening to this, in my opinion, is incredible. We're dropped right into action, which I think is always a good thing to sort of start you in the middle of something and then sort of take you back to start the plot because as the audience, you're left wondering if that exact moment in this plot is going to come up later. Was it just a one-off? Especially with this sort of plot, you kind of have to think of everything as being interconnected and sort of, if you can remember little tiny details, it will help you keep up with the plot later in the end. And when I say keep up with the plot, I'm not saying that this movie is hard to follow. I actually think that it's pretty easy to keep up with and understand, especially because even if the first time something has been said or the first time you see something, you're not exactly sure where it's going to fit in later. It's clearly explained in later scenes, which I think is nice because especially on a second or third watch, I happened to watch it four times in December once it came out on Blu-ray. So I sort of really, I have a good grasp on everything now, but you do pick up on where you were already told when something's going to happen that you just didn't know was exactly that important the first time you see it. Our main character for this movie is played by John David Washington. His character is simply known as the protagonist. He never gets a name throughout the entire movie. And he starts off as a CIA agent. He's doing this mission in this opera house at the beginning of the movie. And in the end of that mission, he is captured, he is killed, and he is brought back by this organization. And the organization is called, you guessed it tenant he is then introduced into the whole phenomenon idea of what they call inversion which is where things are moving backwards through time and he is then on a new mission to figure out who is creating these objects that are moving through time who is the whole mastermind behind this idea and how he can stop them from creating the end of the world. He obviously has to get some help along the way, which is where Robert Pattinson comes in with the character of Neil, and he gets him this introduction to this arms dealer. We get some more cool, interesting actiony scenes where they literally propel themselves up onto the side of a building. Um, I think the term used in the film is bungee jumpable, which not a word as John David Washington's character says, but it is fun to say and from there they continue to get information of who to contact next and we then get in touch with elizabeth the becky's character who is top notch in this movie as she is in most of the things she's in we get a really great fight scene in the back kitchen of a restaurant which i still get uncomfortable every time i see the protagonist pick up the cheese grater if you know you know I don't want to give too much away of the plot of this movie because I do think it's nice to walk through it yourself and sort of pick up on different parts of the plot on multiple watches. Again, though, you can get the gist of the movie on your first watch. It's not that hard. But to point out some of the highlights of this movie that I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the characters' relationships between each other. I thought that Neil and the protagonist relationship was nice, especially when you learn more about them as the film comes to its conclusion. And I also thought that the protagonist's um, interest in keeping Elizabeth DeBecky's character, Kat, safe and sound and keeping her as much out of her husband's path that he could in this mission to save the world was really nice um, because usually that sort of interaction only comes when there's a romance with the general idea there being that they want to save the world so that they can have the love of their life which is not the take that Tenet takes. Um, It's not a romantic relationship that he feels for Kat, but he does want to protect her and her son in saving the world, which I I thought was really nice. There's definitely a lot of cool fight scenes and action scenes, especially the one that we get to see twice and we get to see it both forwards and backwards for lack of a better term um, you get to see both points of view from how that fight goes down and seeing it the second time I just think is so cool because you sort of know exactly how it's going to happen and you're getting the full explanation of what went down and I love time movies especially when they're done this well so I just thought it was really cool Another big win of this movie for me was the score. It was done by Ludwig Gorenson who did the Black Panther score. He's done lots of amazing scores but that one he won both the Oscar and the Grammy for so Christopher Nolan came and got himself a good one. He didn't bring in Hans Zimmer and that's okay. Ludwig did some really really cool things with this score. There's also um, this element that he used every time something was inverted that you hear and start to pick up on as the movie progresses. And so it is another tell um, that Nolan uses in his film to let you know when something has been inverted to help you continue to understand the plot line and what's going on. I really do think though that this score totally elevated the film. I hope that Ludwig gets some recognition at the Oscars. I'd love to see him win for this again, because I'm not sure that any other score is going to do it for me the way this one does. I do wanna touch on some complaints that people had about this movie, just to give my two cents on it. Um, Sound mixing, I get it. I totally understand. It is hard to understand what the characters are saying in some parts of this film, especially the areas where their characters are wearing masks. Honestly, it kind of does go over my head in some parts. But something I did notice on my multiple rewatches is that sometimes it's not totally important to the plot, what they're saying, because especially in the beginning, there's a scene where they are trying to pull this hostage out and they're talking. And I just think it's funny that what I realized is everything they're saying is just exactly what then unfolds in the right next scene. So even if you didn't understand word for word what they're saying, what they're verbally saying, you're going to understand it when you see the next scenes. And so I don't know. I understand it. I totally think it's a valid complaint to have. And I don't really know if this is a Nolan thing because I think it's something that comes up in lots of action films these days. So I don't really have a solution for it. I don't know if it totally is a stylistic choice, but that is something to consider. Hopefully, if you know that going in, you can have that at the top of your mind that it will be sort of hard to understand the characters in some scenes. And then hopefully knowing that and knowing that it's totally not a detriment to the entire plot will help you look past it. If you've been thinking about watching Tenant and you haven't given it a chance yet, I totally think that it's worth it. I would love to talk to anybody who has seen Tenet about it because I love it. Again, love Tenet. I love saying tenant. They say it a lot in the movie. I will say it a lot when I talk about it. That's going to wrap it up for this first episode of 2021. My first episode in eight months. Hopefully it wasn't too rough. I will get back into the swing of things. As a recap, Wonder Woman 84, I would not recommend it. Tenant, fully recommend it. If you guys have any thoughts about either of these movies, I would love to hear them from you. I'll hop back on my Twitter at you want to watch. You can let me know your thoughts. And I look forward to talking about more movies in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of You Wanna Watch. You can find me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as on Twitter at YWWPod and Instagram at You Wanna Watch.